You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Thinking about David, Jewish Rabbi David Wolpe, in his excellent book, David the Divided Heart, points out that the Bible's book of 1 Kings opens by talking about David just in the first two chapters and goes on to Solomon and other kings. And when 1 Kings opens, chapter 1 begins with these words, King David was very old. You read a little bit about David, and then when you get to chapter 2, the last chapter that talks about David in, in Kings, it begins with the words, when the time drew near for David to die. King David was old, chapter 1, but chapter 2, the time drew near for David to die. Not King David in chapter 2, just David. Rabbi Wolpe writes, when one is dying, he is neither king nor doctor nor priest, just a frail and fading man. What we see in David's final moments is his distilled character, as when a strong wind blows the leaves from a tree, leaving the trunk and branches visible. David is dying, and his death will shortly strip away his kingship, his power, the last of his physical strength. And all that's left as death approaches is who David really is. We've been following him through his life, just touching in uh, from place to place in his life. He's been shepherd, giant conqueror, warrior hero, writer of psalms of praise and prayer, king, father, sinner, repentant, servant of God, broken-hearted parent, still king, and from our text last week, king who wants to build a temple for God, but God said no, David's son would be the one to build the temple. David has been all these things. He's lived a full and imperfect life, but now his last days are near. King David was very old. The time drew near for David to die. Our last days have a way of stripping us down to who we really are. It was Job who said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Apostle Paul reminded us in 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. And so the only things in our entire lives that will last into eternity are our relationships with each other, and most importantly, our relationship with God. That's all. That's all we can take with us. David as the scripture says, lived to be an old man. He lived to be about 70 years old, which was longer than the average, we think, in his time. 
As we've seen in our study of his life, he had ups and he had downs. He had times when he was full of confidence in God and times when he was very afraid. And even in those times, he still turned to God. He had times when he was unknown or hated and times when he was feared or loved. He had times when he was unfaithful to God and God disciplined him. And then times when he repented and God restored him. He had many, many times when he was diligently faithful and God guided him and blessed him and worked in his life. But how does David do at the end? Scripture gives us two accounts of David's final days. Uh, 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2 and 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Kings 1 and 2 focuses on David's final days as king as he's dealing with the transfer of power to his son Solomon. He's failing physically. He's old. He can't keep himself warm anymore. His son Adonijah, maybe perceiving dad's weakness, tries to take the throne for himself, but David is told about it and quickly proclaims Solomon to be king. Solomon, the son whom David and God had chosen to be the next king of Israel. And so David and Solomon become co-kings together for a short time. The older, experienced king handing the baton to the younger, inexperienced king. And in 1 Kings, David gives Solomon counsel on handle some difficult situations in the kingdom involving some troublemakers. And he reminds Solomon then to walk in obedience to God. And then David dies. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, which is our text this morning, Chronicles records events parallel to these events from 1 Kings going on about the same time. It continues the scene that we read last week in chapter 28, when David has collected all the resources for building the temple of God in Jerusalem, and now hands those resources over to Solomon so that Solomon can begin its construction. And David urges Solomon and all the officials of Israel to build the temple, and most importantly, to remain faithful to God. And then 1 Chronicles 29 takes us through the end of David's message to that assembly that we were reading about last week. It's his final public message, and the chapter brings us into David's final days. And here what we see from David in his final days in 1 Chronicles is his heart for God, his true devotion when the cold autumn wind of time blows the tree bare of its leaves, all that's left of David is that he loves God. He loves God. And he seeks God's blessings for his son Solomon and for the nation of Israel. If you are privileged to live another year, another 10 years, another 50 years, or if you're young, maybe another 70 years? How do you want to finish your life? What sorts of things do you want your life to be about when your time comes? Or when the Lord Jesus returns, if he comes before then? When the cold wind of time blows away your last leaves, and all that's left is the trunk and the branches, what do you want those to be about? What kind of person 
do you want to be at that moment? And what do you want to be doing? It's important for us to think about. Because how we finish, how we want to finish our lives should guide how we live today. It's hard to finish a race well if you don't run well until the home stretch. Well, I'll just take it easy, and when I get to the end, then I'll sprint across that finish line. Well, you don't know what's going to happen when you get toward the end of the race. Those who run best pace themselves along the way and run with their best effort from the start and run with their best strategy from the beginning. David finished well with all his glories and flaws, all his paradoxical greatness and raw humanness, his sin and yet all his genuine devotion to God. When it came down to the end, he finished well. Let's take a look at 1 Chronicles 29. And I'd like us to look for four things that David does well in his final days, as they're represented here, that I think we can do too. We begin as David is wrapping up his message to Solomon and the officials of Israel that we began last week, that final public address. It's a speech calling the new young king and all the people to come together to build the temple of God. Here's how he wraps up that speech. Chapter 29, verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. The first thing that David does well here in the final chapter of his life, as Chronicles records it, is he gives he devotes his resources to God and then urges others to follow his example and do the same. 
massive amounts of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, precious stones, marble. From the government's treasury, he sets aside all of these for the building of the temple. And then to that, he adds his personal treasures of gold and silver, contributing them to the national stockpile for the temple. And having modeled this generosity for the honor of God, he calls on the officials to join him in giving to the work on the temple, and they do. And all the people rejoice, and King David rejoices as the leaders band together to prepare for the building of this great structure that they're going to devote to God. George Pepperdine, for whom Pepperdine University is named, uh, he gave, uh, gave a lot of money to get a university started. I don't know if he knew they were going to name it after him. Uh, Pepperdine University down in Malibu, California. George Pepperdine was a devout Christian and was very wealthy, multimillionaire uh, in his prime. He had a dream of giving away all his incredible wealth before he died. In fact, he had a saying that went along with that. He said, faith is my fortune. So I'm not going to depend on the money. I'm going to depend on God. And he wanted to show his love for God, his dependence on God, by giving it all away just to glorify God and to help people. He figured God had given him so much. And he basically succeeded. Uh, He died with a very modest uh, amount of money and resources uh, still uh, available for him and his wife. And he was okay with that. Uh, He had given away a lot of money. He'd also made some bad investments uh, in his later years that helped him get rid of his money. So that was unfortunate. But he basically devoted all his wealth to God as he neared the end of his life. A good goal for us, too, would be to aim to honor God with what we have as we near the end of our lives. We can't take it with us, obviously. So what can we do to be a blessing to to others and to give glory to God, to give meaningful gifts, to help those in need, to bless the church, to leave a good inheritance for our children and grandchildren. The Bible's book of Proverbs says the righteous person leaves an inheritance for their children and their grandchildren. A good thing to aim for if we're able. And like David, we would like to give so generously that others are inspired to give as well, all for God's honor, that he may be exalted. It's one thing that David did well in his final days. Here's what David did next, picking up in verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. The second thing David does well here near the end of his life, he praises God. He worships God. In the presence of the whole assembly of Solomon and all the officials of the land, David recites this poem he's crafted to praise God. It's a psalm. Maybe his his final one. It might have been the last one he wrote. 
In verse 10, he praises God as the God of our father Israel, the man, the ancestor from whom the nation got its name. This God is Israel's reliable God. He has always been there for them, guiding them, helping them, disciplining them, blessing them again. In verse 11, he honors God as the true king of Israel. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. Not mine, but yours. The human king submits himself to the divine king. And he attributes to God greatness and power and glory and majesty and splendor and acknowledges that everything in heaven and earth belongs to God. David exalts God over himself. He worships God. In verse 12, 13, in verse 13, David closes this short psalm with thanks and praise. I did skip over verse 12. He acknowledges God in verse 12 as the source of all wealth and honor. All exaltation and strength, everything that raised David up above his peers or that raises up any wealthy person or any ruler above their peers, it all comes from God. God is the ruler of all things. And then David closes his little psalm in verse 13. David wrote dozens and dozens of psalms of prayer and praise to God. We have many in our scriptures in the book of Psalms. There's something reassuring about knowing he was still writing psalms of praise to God in his last days. And I know for me, maybe it's this way for you too, when I come to my last days, my last hours, my last breath, if I'm aware, if I'm cognizant, and if I'm able I want to be praising and worshiping God right down to the end. Kind of like this. Sing this with me if you know it. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. And that's how we want it to be right at the end, right? When we're down to our last breath and our strength is failing. And we don't know when that'll be. You know, we, we think it might be a long way off now or we might be feeling it getting close. We don't know how many days we have left. So if you're going to be praising God at the end, then we need to be praising God now and make it a habit, make it a deep and vital part of who we are, the trunk of who we are, not the leaves that get blown away in that cold autumn wind, not, not something that we try to throw in and make stick at the end so that when that cold autumn wind does blow, and all our beautiful leaves are stripped away, that solid relationship with God will remain. David continues his prayer in verse 14. After he's finished that, uh, that little psalm, he continues to pray. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. 
We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to, provide the, to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. David continues to honor God through this whole prayer. In verses 14 and 16, he twice acknowledges that everything he and the officials are giving for the temple comes from God. Everything they have that's available to them, that they can choose to be generous with, it all comes from God. In verse 17, he acknowledges that God tests the heart and is pleased with integrity. And David says he's given all this wealth for the temple willingly and with honest intent. And that honors God. And then David acknowledges that while human beings pass away, God endures. So David says in verse 15, We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were our, all our ancestors. We're only here a short time. We just, we just got here, and now we're leaving already. We're like strangers, just sort of passing through. And he says, our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. We're, we're insubstantial. There's, you know, a, a shadow's there, but it's, it's not anything really. You can't grab it, and we're kind of the same. You can't get a hold of us because we're, we're here such a short time. As light sweeps away shadows, so time sweeps us away, and there's nothing we can do about it. Yet God remains. And he is faithful to his people, and he provides for them. And so the third thing David does well near the end of his life here, he prays for the people who will continue after him. He prays for them. In verses 18 and 19, he prays that God will keep the hearts of his people loyal to God, and that God will give Solomon wholehearted devotion to obey the Lord and to build the temple. You know, God understands our frailty as mortal human beings. And he understands the tender poignancy of our last days. And I suspect that our prayers to him as we near the end of our lives are especially precious to him. And so when we pray for each other, and especially for those who come after us, and, and most especially when our time is near and that's what we're praying for, I imagine that prayer touches God's heart because it shows that at that critical moment, our focus is not on ourselves, even there at the end, but on God and on his work in the lives of these others we love and care about. And so for my part, I want to finish my life praying for the church and praying for my kids, my grandkids, if I have any, and for all those coming after me who will need to follow the Lord and receive his blessings. One last thing that David does well at the end. 
We finish up his life with this reading. Verse 21. The next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and presented burnt offerings to him. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs, together with their drink offerings and other sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. They ate and drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. Then they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be priest. So Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. He prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. All the officers and warriors, as well as all of King David's sons, pledged their submission to King Solomon. The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him royal splendor such as no king over Israel ever had before. David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years, seven in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. As for the events of of King David's reign from beginning to end, they are written in the records of Samuel the seer, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer, together with the details of his reign and power and the circumstances that surrounded him and Israel and the kingdoms of all the other lands. The fourth thing that David does well here at the end of his life, as Chronicles records it, he hands off the baton. The race of life, as you know, is not an individual race. It is a relay race until Jesus comes again and the race is done. And so we receive the baton from those who came before us and we hand it off to those who continue after us. David did not drop the baton when he handed it off to Solomon. He put Solomon on the throne before he died. He lived to see his son begin to rule over Israel as God had promised that Solomon would when God had told David in 1 Chronicles 17, the Lord will build a house for you. Verse 22 says, they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time. The first time was in 1 Kings 1, verse 39, when Solomon was hurriedly installed as king in order to stop his brother Adonijah, who was proclaiming himself to be king. This time there's no rush. They offer thousands of sacrifices to God. They hold a great feast to celebrate. They make it a big day for Solomon, his re-coronation here. And all the officers and warriors and Solomon's brothers pledge themselves to Solomon. David makes sure that Solomon is fully installed as king, which means Israel enjoys a peaceful transfer of power. The nation is stable and at rest. And it's not going to hurt any that David, who is also still king, he and Solomon are co-kings for a short time, is still around a little bit longer to help Solomon get settled in. I want, before God calls me home to be with him, to have the privilege of handing off the baton well. I might retire someday. Not really thinking about that just yet, but I've seen it happen with other people. It could happen to me too. 
Before I retire, someday, maybe, I would like to hand the baton to the congregation's next preacher and bless the start of his work with this church and know that he's going to do a great job. I want to, before I pass from this life, encourage my kids and perhaps someday grandkids, great-grandkids, who knows, encourage them in faith. And not just them, but the next generation or two or three overall, so other people's kids too. I want, them, I want to have the comfort of knowing that to whatever extent I was able, I blessed the next generation and helped them seek God. I want to hand off the baton well. And then I think I'll be ready to go and be with the Lord. I want to finish well. David finished well. May we do the same. One last thought as a sort of postscript to David's life. In the Psalms that David wrote during his lifetime, there are two hints that the dead who die in the Lord might not be gone, but might continue on in God's glorious presence, living forever in the joy of his company. Now, resurrection is a word we use a lot in the church, but that wasn't something Israel knew about yet. No one is raised from the dead in Israel until the time of the prophet Elijah, about 150 years after David. And Jesus is still a thousand years off. So that's a long way out yet. But even so, in David's Psalms, there are these two hints of life after death in God's presence. One of them is in that famous Psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and so forth. In the last line, verse 6, David says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I will be with God and enjoy his blessings all my days, but then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Maybe a hint of eternal life there. The other hint is in Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This was an important psalm in the early church. Jesus' apostles said this was a prophecy of Jesus' resurrection, that he was not abandoned to the realm of, his, of the dead, and his body did not decay but was raised back to life which in turn promises resurrection for all who follow Jesus. But then also, David spoke of eternal pleasures of your right, at your right hand. And so maybe he had a hint that there is eternal life beyond death. David may or may not have known he was writing prophecy. He may just have been writing about God blessing him with life after death. It's hard to say how much David might have understood about the resurrection of the dead, which God revealed to us through later prophets and most of all through Jesus our Lord. Yet David still finished well. I mentioned resurrection, I mentioned resurrection uh, to say that even though David didn't really understand about eternal life, probably, very clearly, he still finished well. He trusted in God. He sensed that there was more to our relationship with God and to all God's blessings than just this life, even if he maybe couldn't put his finger exactly on what that meant. He was faithful to God to the end. But for us, 
Through the resurrection of Jesus, we know more about life after death than David did. We know that just as God raised Jesus from death and so conquered the power of death, so God will also raise those who follow Jesus. And so we have a stronger motivation to finish well than even David had. Because we understand resurrection is coming. And in the meantime, the only things that matter in life, that truly matter at the end, the only things we can take with us after we die are our relationship with God and our relationships with one another in the Lord. Naked we came from our mother's wombs and naked we depart. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if in our last days we can use what God has given us for his glory, if we can praise God, if we can pray for the people who will continue after us, if we can hand off the baton of life and faith to, to those who follow us, that would be a good finish. It would honor God and get us off to a good start as we enter into eternal life. Even today, let us live in a way that aims for that good finish. Let's sing this one more time. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. Lord, our God, we give you praise today. and We ask for your blessing on each one of us and on one another and on your church everywhere. Lord, as we come to the end of our days, whenever that may be, we pray that you would hear our hearts, whether our mouths can speak or not, and see, Lord, how we turn to you in those moments. Lord, we pray that we might be able to finish well and so bring you great honor and leave a blessing behind us for those who come after us. And Father, as we uh, live today in the light of your presence and the joy of all your blessings, Lord, let us uh, live to serve you faithfully today as well in preparation for that day. And Lord, as, as we think about uh, our mortality, the length of our lives, Lord, we yearn to see Jesus face to face and we pray that he would come soon. Lord, come quickly. Dear God, bless us this week. Thank you for all your love. In Jesus' name, amen.